Welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Sophia. And I'm Adriana. And today we're talking about woundedness, spiritual wounds, psychological wounds, and the path to healing. Yeah, I'm really excited about this topic. Both personally, exploring my own wounds has been such an encounter with Christ. But then also, Sophia, you study trauma and healing from a neuroscientistic perspective. And that's a completely new area of insight for me and how that contacts our theological understanding of woundedness. So I'm excited to explore that with you. Yeah, I think back to, actually, I think it was some of the first days of our friendship when some of our conversations actually revolved around wounds and healing and how in our respective journeys those had been so important for forming who we are today. So I feel like we've come like full circle in these years of growing closer to Christ and to one another. And as you mentioned, deepening our own theoretical understanding of this, but also, you know, through the lived experience of these past years. So mm-hmm. hopefully it'll be something fruitful for our listeners um, that they can really use as a point of reflection on their own journeys and where the Holy Spirit might be inviting them to take an additional step of, of freedom, which is what healing really is all about. Great. So I think today we want to cover what does it mean to be wounded? Are we all wounded? What are wounds? And then also, what does healing look like for those wounds that can be healed? Yeah. And Jesus as our model in terms of carrying a wounded body to heaven. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a great a great summary. And exactly where you started, I think, is an important place to explore because because there are misconceptions out there about what woundedness is. Mm. Um, I think in my research and in my own personal life, I encounter this sort of resistance from a lot of people to talking about woundedness because there's sort of a sense that it's like equating your own person with sort of a victimhood and reducing everything that's happened to you to this like traumatic narrative. So from the outset, I would like to say that is definitely not what we are doing here. Rather, I would invite all of our listeners to sort of consider this to be an intrinsic way in which original sin is manifest in the world, in woundedness. Mm-hmm. Um, because as human persons, we are made for the infinite. We're made for infinite goodness and beauty and truth. And yet we live in a world that's marked by sin and division and lies. And so to be a human person in this world is to experience less than what we're made for. That inscribes a wound on the heart. And it's that absence of a good that we're talking about today as um, as a wound that is in need of healing. Yeah, I love, I just want to repeat what you even just said that struck me so much is to be a human in the world is to experience less than what we're made for. Yeah. And that innately presents a longing or a lack because we can feel a hole and a gap. Yeah. And in that sense, it can be something really positive, right? So I think of my friend Jessica, for instance, who is someone I would describe as wounded by beauty. Mm -hmm. She is just wounded by beauty. She goes through life aware of her desire for it. And so whenever she experiences less than that, she knows this ache of longing. 
But then whenever something happens, you know, I'll be standing next to her and I won't notice anything, but she'll perceive this beauty and it'll move her heart and remind her of Christ. So for me, she's a real witness of how my wounds can be something that are not destructive. They don't have to be foul and festering. Mm-hmm. You know, they can be something that direct me towards Christ, towards that good that I don't possess now, but that I'm made for and I'm and I'm promised. I'm promised that I will possess it eternally. Yeah, I even think of St. Therese who wrote in her diary that she was patiently longing for heaven. Mm. And that didn't really resonate with my experience for a long time. And it doesn't, I mean, overall, honestly, but there (laughs) was a moment with my family and we were just all together and with my husband and we were playing with our kids and everyone was just having such a beautiful time. And I wanted it to last forever. Mm. And I wanted to just enter into it. And I could tell it was an infinite moment that I was sinking into rather than just a horizontal passing of time, how I often treat my days. Mm. But I felt like I had this moment of connection of like, yes, I'm longing for heaven because I want this forever. And I know that this moment is going to pass, that death will come for all of us. Yes. And that is incredibly painful in that moment to hold also with recognizing like this moment should be able to last forever. Exactly. I should be able to live into it. Yeah. And I will in heaven, but I need to make sure my heart's directed towards that. Right. Right, because it's behind a veil. I love that example um, because it shows just how pervasive this is in our daily lives when we start paying attention to where our infinite desires are met by something less than infinite. I think more specifically today in this episode, though, we want to focus in on those wounds that might be the result of sin. So particularly those places in our heart where we've experienced abandonment or rejection or we've had a sense of hopelessness, Mm -hmm. these deep human experiences that often, both neurobiologically speaking, but also spiritually speaking, take shape in childhood, but then will form the way that we behave the rest of our lives. It's, I think, fruitful to focus in on these places because as Christ himself, you know, his resurrected body makes clear to us, when our wounds are healed, they don't disappear, but they become glorified. And so by looking at these places, by asking the Holy Spirit to heal us, by taking the steps of courage towards that end, we actually are bringing a gift to ourselves and to others um, that, that enable us to walk more surely on this path that you're talking about, this directedness toward heaven. Yeah, exactly. So at the start, kind of just discussing the beauty of woundedness in the sense that it can present to us a longing for heaven and a long, longing for eternal relationship with the Father. But then also we experience a human woundedness from original sin, yeah. from the brokenness of society, from the sins of others and our own personal sin too. Mm-hmm. And Jesus longs to bring healing into those areas of our lives. I think this is a helpful place to dispel a second misconception that I hear about woundedness, which is that addressing it is just navel gazing. It's just taking care of you. It's self-care. It's just about you. Um, That's really not true. I mean, you can look at the Bible, you can look at your own life, you can look at human history, and you'll see that wounded people wound other people. Mm -hmm. That is how it happens. 
Um, Our sin begets sin. And by going to the source, going to the origin, and not just putting a Band-Aid on it, but really, you know, enabling the divine physician to heal you there, that's something that bears fruit in peace and joy and a greater charity in all of your relationships. So this is something that you can do for others as well as yourself. Yeah, I just think of a kind of single line that I went to a talk with Sister Miriam, whose last name I'm forgetting, but she said, unless trauma is transformed, it is transmitted. Ooh. That always stuck with me as so true. Yeah. It reminds me of what you said on our podcast about heresies from season one, that sin is relational and it's not something that we just do in a vacuum. It's something that is transmitted from generation to generation through these these wounds. And yeah, and that's something we see actually on the neurobiological level, the brain changes and epigenetic changes that occur as a result of abuse and neglect are things that are passed on to the next generation. So even a generation that hasn't personally known the wounds of trauma can inherit it if it's happened at the generation before. Um, So this is definitely at all levels of our being something that we see. Yeah, that's incredible to me that neurologically we can inherit a woundedness. Yeah. And as a mother, it does make you really want to work on healing if you know that you're passing on that wound to future generations. Yes. And already in the womb. I mean, things like if you have uh, an extremely stressful experience like domestic violence while you're pregnant, it can mark the stress reactivity of the infant before he or she is even born. So, so you're absolutely right. You know, we're made for relationships of perfect love, and <laughs> none of us experience that, but we can all we can all work towards it for the sake of of everyone in our lives. I think some people are really in touch with their own woundedness, with things that have wounded them. But then also I sense a cultural kind of resistance that you've been talking about to saying that I'm a person that's been wounded, Mm. even in interpersonal conflict as a defense mechanism to say, if a person apologizes to you, like even to respond with like, oh, don't worry about it. Yeah. It didn't bother me or something when it, when it obviously did, or I can think of even times when I've done that and not in wanting to name that it was wounding. Mm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It might stem from a fear of vulnerability, Mm -hmm. which is a real barrier to recognizing and admitting your woundedness. Yeah, maybe also a certain degree of emotional illiteracy, that we don't have the vocabulary to talk about these experiences. Um, At least I didn't grow up Mm -hmm. knowing, oh, I'm experiencing rejection right now. You know, this this is a sense of abandonment that I'm projecting onto this person or whatever it is. So I think, yeah, we have a a great deal of room for growth there. Yeah, there's a book um, called Be Healed by Dr. Bob Schultz. Have you read that, Sophia? No, I haven't. Well, he names areas of wounds into kind of categories that I found helpful. Mm. So Dr. Bob names core wounds as abandonment, fear, shame, powerlessness, rejection, hopelessness, and confusion. Those, yeah, those are really helpful categories to keep in mind. Obviously, somewhat overlapping, but mm-hmm. I think present in different ways. I can definitely think of my own life, for instance, uh, shame. When that wound is acting up, I'm often tempted to be 
defensive or even to numb my reactions to things and not allow myself to even go there because it'll just be so overwhelming. And then also, I think if we're talking about indicators, like a little light on your dashboard showing that you might want to pay attention to woundedness. Another one for me is if I'm getting stuck in patterns of thought about the past, not in like a reminiscing, joyful kind of way, but just really ruminating on something that I did that I wish I'd done differently or something that someone else did that I wish they hadn't. So those for me are a few a few different ways that I know to pay attention to and therefore ask for healing in a particular place. Yeah, for me, I think what has been really helpful about recognizing a core wound of rejection is that sometimes I'd find myself getting really angry or defensive if somebody presented a contrary opinion to my own or a different idea in the workplace or on a group project or something. Mm. And trying instead of responding into that anger, which I'm sure I often do, but to step back from it and ask why am I feeling this anger and kind of recognize that it's because I think that I'm experiencing rejection of my own idea Mm -hmm. and it's touching on this core wound where I'm just afraid of being rejected altogether and really trying to turn that to God and remind myself and ask him again to just embrace me and hold me close and remind me that I'm not rejected. Yeah. Even in the possibility that somebody is rejecting my idea. Right. (laughs) And that's okay. I like that movement that you spelled out there because it so clearly shows that these wounds are an opportunity for Satan to tempt us to live something other than reality. And what does Christ do? Christ, who is truth, he invites us to reality, Mm. to live what is difficult in front of us, but not the narrative that we build up in our head about what it is because of our past experiences or our fears or whatever it is. So praying to Christ to his truth to root us in reality, I think that's a powerful response to whenever you sense one of your wounds acting up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it can even turn into an opportunity for healing in moments when this happens, perhaps with my own husband or with a close friend where I can even apologize and express. I mean, I can do this with a coworker too. I'm really sorry that I'm acting defensively. I realize this is out of my own fear of rejection rather than you presenting your own idea and really being in front of you instead of in my own head and in my own woundedness. Mm -hmm. Which then invites that person, you know, sort of plants the seeds for their own work of healing as well, let alone in relationship with you as sort of deepening there. That's beautiful. I like that. Toward that topic on this dynamic between lies and truth, I think back to one of the most clearly delineated examples of a personal wound in my life that is thankfully healed, and so I feel comfortable sharing sharing with our listeners. But it was this lie that I had believed from the age of about 13 because of a particular encounter I had with someone that I lived with that I was impossible to live with, that I just created conflict and was a burden and could not be a generative presence in a household. You know, I wouldn't have stated it in those terms. It was an implicit belief for many years. Um, But it then shaped the way that I behaved when I went abroad and lived with a host family or when I went to university and lived with roommates or during the summers when I would do study abroad and, and those sorts of things. It shaped the way that I behaved because I was constantly on my guard and afraid of encounters with others in my house because I was afraid of 
being a destructive presence. I was afraid of burdening others with my needs. I was afraid of having whatever it is, my emotionality, my shoes on the floor, like whatever it was. And it really wasn't until I moved here to Cambridge. I was living in a house with 11 people. And when I moved into this house, the wound really flared up because you're living with 11 people you've never met before from all around the world, studying all different things. And it sort of reached a breaking point of this sense of, is it true that I'm impossible to live with? Because if so, this situation cannot hold. This is not something that I can just, I can't work around this wound. It needs to be excised or <laughs> or I need to leave this house. Um, and the Holy Spirit was just so merciful and gave me throughout the entire year, even with the lockdown due to the pandemic, just over and over again, these repeated and abundant experiences of my goodness, precisely in those relationships, of my ability to generate community, whether it was through like baking or throwing birthday celebrations or being there for my housemates when their parents were ill or whatever, just these moments of experiencing my goodness in relationship that opened my eyes to the way that the lie that I couldn't be that way had shaped my behavior in the past. So much so that, you know, I moved to a new place in the autumn and I cannot even express how different and how free I felt in encountering my housemates. So it was beautiful, but also opened my eyes to like, oh, holy cow, like, I can live under the shadow of a lie for a long time without realizing it. That was a really humbling realization for me um, and has sort of sparked parallel journeys of healing, of begging for healing in places that I think a similar thing might be going on. So, yes, I just wanted to share that story as maybe for some of our listeners who are thinking of how this might unfold in a very practical way. Yeah, thank you for sharing that example. I love that story and I want to draw out two of the things that you said. One, just recognizing how long you can live under the shadow of a lie, but being able to recognize that it's a lie is directly because of our relationship with Christ and because of he tells us who we are. Yeah, It reminds me of that quote from St. John Paul II, we are not the sum of our failures, we are the sum of the Father's love for us. Yes, which is infinite. Yes, it allows you to know that that's a lie. Otherwise, all you have is your own self-affirmation mm -hmm. to say that this isn't true. And I think you and I have certainly experienced our own self-affirmation is finite and not enough. Not enough. We need the Father's infinite love. Every day. And also just your posture of begging for healing. I think in our culture, what makes the conversation of woundedness particularly difficult as we become more secularized is because it demands a posture of begging because we recognize we can't heal ourselves. And if you have a wound, it needs someone to heal you. Yeah. So it presupposes a healer that our culture wants to reject. And therefore, we're kind of just left with denying our own woundedness or falling into total despair because of it. Yeah, absolutely. That's really insightful. And I would say even oscillating between the two. I've seen that in my life and in the lives of my friends too, sort of oscillating between this despair and then this numbness and uh, often with a good, a good dose of fear in there as well. To your point about needing someone to be the physician in the relationship, I think that it's worth mentioning here that 
a very powerful instrument of healing is therapy. Yeah. Um, it has been in my life. It's been that way in the lives of a lot of people I know and a lot of my research participants. And this reveals the method of God in our lives, which is the incarnation, that he chooses the Virgin Mary to be the one to bear the presence of his son into the world. He chooses, I mean, she was preserved from original sin, but he chooses finite human beings to bear his presence into the world. And this continues to be his method to this day. How does he enter my life but through finite human beings who are his instruments? And in terms of healing, I think there are usually no better instruments than therapists and spiritual directors and people who you turn to for unconditional love and wisdom and truth. Mm -hmm. um, so whoever those people are in your life, these are the people who you want accompanying you on this journey of healing. Because it's not just you in a chapel in front of the tabernacle saying, okay, you're the divine physician, heal me. Yes, that's a part of it. But the instruments that he chooses, because you're embodied, are going to be in your life. Yeah, I also think for me, my experiences of healing with others have been such an encounter with the triune God as a communion of persons. I think of Rublev's icon. Yes, the Trinity. Yes, if our listeners haven't seen it, stop the podcast. It was <laughs> on my cake at my college graduation. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't remember Wait, that. weren't you there? Yeah, yeah. I, was, I missed it. <laughs> I must have come after the cake was cut. But... Oh man, you missed out. But this icon is incredible. Sophia had a cake after it. <laughs> Look it up, but it's a presentation of the Trinity in the story of Abraham when he is sharing a meal with the angels. And Andre Rublev invites you into the image in his artistry mm. to be the fourth person. And just as the Trinity invites our participation through Christ's incarnation. Yeah. And that for me is always lived out so clearly in these encounters I have with others that have been very healing. Personally, I think because I was, my dad was in the Air Force and we moved pretty constantly growing up. I struggled with a lot of social anxiety and that came to be really deeply rooted in my identity. Mm. And I definitely resonated with you in talking about how how would I look to numb that and often by alcohol in college. Mm -hmm because it was such a social stimulant, and thought that would be how I'd find my avenue towards acceptance. But obviously that isn't what happened. Right. And it was really through true encounters with others and real authentic friendships where I could sense that was different than any other friendship. I wasn't being used for anything. Mm. I'd so often in high school give my homework assignments to other students to copy as a means of gaining acceptance and being friends with them. And I I came to see my value through that. Mm. And so it was so extraordinary to me. And, and Father Giussani talks about this. We're made for these extraordinary experiences of complete belonging and complete acceptance. And they happen so rarely. Mm -hmm. They happen so rarely that like we can think and we're so moved by them when they do occur. When we come before another who will be with us truly for who we are and recognize that they're in front of a sacred gift of God. Mm -hmm. When that happens, it's so striking that I think it changes the whole trajectory. And Father Giussani talks about it in terms of John and Andrew meeting Jesus for the first time. 
And it's such a short story in Matthew, and they completely turn and follow him. And it must have been that kind of meeting. And it made me ask myself, when have I had those meetings in my life? And I can think, you know, thankfully, really clearly of them because I'm surrounded by so many people now that recognize the infinite in front of them and are in dialogue with the infinite so that they look for God within me. But even still... I find myself moved by this experience each time. Yeah. I think you draw out another really important dynamic in healing, which is from slavery to freedom. Because as you touched on with how you chose to cope with this wound in college, there's a real element of habit, whether it's habitual coping in a particular way or habitual numbing or acting out often involving substances. I see that a lot in my research, but it keeps us locked in these patterns of dealing with the effects of the wound, but never getting to the bottom of it. And what is it that called you out of that place and into a place of freedom, but an encounter? And it's an encounter that you need to keep happening, Mm -hmm. but an encounter that brings wonder and a new gaze on yourself, a new affection for yourself. That's another consequence that Jusani describes. And so that's what enables you to follow. And it's in following that that you have the freedom, the freedom to heal, but also the freedom to be, as I can testify in my own life, you've been an instrument of healing for others who might be trapped in places of a lack of freedom. I wonder if you've studied this at all neurologically, but I remember discussing trauma in school and our professor said that when a person experiences trauma and it hasn't been healed, when that memory comes up for them again, it represents as a present trauma. Mm. And how we're discussing how that can become a false narrative of your reality, partially because that trauma not having been healed occurs for a person, occurs for me, as if it's happening right now. Yeah. It's like the dark side of the way that memory is supposed to work. And so we do talk about post-traumatic stress disorder in particular, but trauma-related difficulties in general as disorders of autobiographical memory. So the way that your brain constructs and holds a narrative of who you are and what you've been through. And it really does. It When these memories get reactivated, they become totalizing um, and drive behavior in a really powerful way. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of the work of healing is healing the memory, as well as the will and the affections is, is how I would describe it. Those aren't the terms that we use in the neurobiological mm-hmm. literature, but that's what's happening. That gets to, though, a really beautiful and provocative thing about wounds, which is that the other side of the coin, often, of where our woundedness is, is one of the greatest gifts that God is giving us and giving the world through us. Just to make this clearer, to go back to my example of my personal wound of rejection that I experienced growing up, for me, it became, as I was going through the process of healing, it enabled me to receive the love of Christ in prayer and, as you were saying, through relationship with others in a way that I wouldn't have been able to otherwise because I had this huge hunger, this huge need for it, and I was so familiar with what relationships were like when I didn't experience that kind of love, that I was just blown away by the gaze of Christ and filled with this desire. I can remember the day and where I was on campus at Notre Dame when I first realized what was happening to me, but filled with the desire to bring this love to other people. 
I was standing outside the Coleman Morris Center having walked out of the chapel after adoration, and I realized that this hunger of mine was something everyone shared, and I actually had the possibility of announcing to them that an answer to that hunger existed. It, it just blew my mind. So I guess just using that as an example, we can see how Christ's invitation to healing and freedom is something that can become so fruitful and generative, not by erasing what's happened to us, not by making that memory go away, but by changing the representation of, of what that memory is, reactivating it, we would say in, in neuroscience, reactivating it so that the memory trace can be modified. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say is happening in healing. It's a, it's a glorification and not an erasure. Yeah, exactly. Our wounds aren't erased by Christ. They're redeemed by him. Totally different. And also something that we can't do on our own. Yeah. We can lay the foundation, though. Frequenting the sacraments, Mm -hmm. like we mentioned before with therapy, uh, really working in your heart on forgiving others and accepting others' forgiveness. So so you can't do it yourself, but you definitely participate. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I think I'd like to talk about Jesus as the wounded healer and really looking at him through that lens specifically, Mm. because he's our model for healing, as we've said repeatedly throughout. Yeah. I have to say, for me, the image that always comes to mind when I think about Christ as the wounded healer is the image of divine mercy, Mm -hmm. of the revelation of Christ to St. Faustina, For listeners who aren't familiar with it, I recommend you Google an image so this makes sense to you. But where blue light is coming out of one side of his heart and red from the other. And this represents water and blood. Water that is our baptism and blood that we receive in the Eucharist. I see so clearly in this image that it's precisely in his act of self-sacrifice on the cross, in his act of surrender to the Father's will that entailed his torture and death, that my belonging to him was made possible through the church, and that my eternal destiny with him and the Father was secured. Yes, I love the image of Jesus and divine mercy. For me, particularly recognizing through Jesus's wounds his fountains of mercy are poured through. And that is true for me too. Mm -hmm. And that's what Jesus wants to do with our wounds, for them to be instead of sources of agony and trauma, to be instead transformed into these opportunities for divine mercy. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It's like in um, one of the prayers I say after the Eucharist is the Anima Christi. And one of the lines is, hide me in thy wounds. And I love it because to your point about our own wounds, that they might be glorified, we can't escape suffering. We can't flee pain. We can't flee the difficulties of this life that can and do wound us. Mm -hmm. But we have to enter into them in the knowledge that God has conquered that. That he, you know, wounded healer is with us in those places. And so by remaining with him, anchored to his side, we can have the strength to confront our own wounds without being scandalized by them or fearful of them, to allow them to be transformed and therefore to meet the wounds of others. Yes. And uh, I guess just reiterate again, with Jesus as our model, he has every opportunity to flee Calvary and doesn't. 
Yeah. And that's not his own woundedness. That's our woundedness he's taking on. And he dies with those wounds and he rises with those wounds. Yeah. So we know in those moments of suffering and often have to remind ourselves too that the gates of hell will not prevail and I'm meant for resurrection. There's a dynamic of hope in what you just said that I think is really important in understanding Jesus as the wounded healer. Because to contemplate the risen Lord as one who still has the wounds in his hands and feet and still has the wound in his side, to contemplate that is to understand what hope is. We believe in a God who can bring life from death and wounds are an opportunity to come to know him. I love what you're saying. Our woundedness gives us a direct encounter with the Paschal mystery. And as Father Caron and always says, it's a missed opportunity for us to not look at our own yeah. wounds and not beg for their healing because we're missing an opportunity to meet Christ there. We're missing an opportunity to be fully loved. Mm -hmm. So I think we've kind of covered how we experience healing too. First, obviously growing in awareness of your own wounds and how they impact you, frequenting the sacraments. Seeking out therapy or counseling if that's helpful to you. Yeah, and I think just on that note, being patient and perseverant with finding a good counselor mm. is so important. I mean, I just, I think there's a lot of bad psychology out there. Yes. And if you can find it, I would recommend Catholic counseling or Catholic therapy. But if you can, it doesn't mean that there's not another person that can help. Yeah. If you've been to a couple and they haven't, I would, I guess, just encourage to keep searching. Yeah. Yeah. And patience with the process of healing itself. Um, this is something that can take years, even after you grow an awareness of the wound and will never be completely healed until heaven. In terms of neuroscience, we talk about it as neuroplasticity, the brain's ability to change, which lasts your entire life. But it takes time. It takes repetitive practice. It often takes relationship with other people, but the connections can rewire. You can, you can be made new on this biological level, even as Christ is making you new also psychologically and spiritually, but it takes time. Does neuroplasticity become more difficult in our older age? Is it easier as children? Do you know anything? Yes. Yeah, so it's sort of a steep drop off as you go through your 20s, mm. um, but neuroplasticity is very high. This is one of the reasons that our childhood experiences are so formative for us because our brain is changing so rapidly that even one experience has the power to shape a lot of synaptic connections. Whereas later in your life, when things are more consolidated and aren't changing quite as quickly, it takes a lot more to change your brain. So that's another thing I would recommend. You know, it's never too late, but there's no reason to delay either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I think that also just has some sort of connection to when young adults enter college, this idea of like finding themselves and having all these super meaningful connections and experiences that when you're, you know, 31 now, your perspective changes on how you even look back on those moments yeah. versus how I was at the time. Yeah. I want to say that I've found confession to be very healing. It is a sacrament of healing and mercy. But at times, especially with my own wounds and the ones that were related to personal sin, I'd find myself frequenting the sacrament of confession and repeating that same mm. sin over again. I've been there. And a priest finally telling me what you're looking for isn't forgiveness. You've been forgiven. It's for healing. Mm. So 
yes, go to the sacraments. But for those of you, I guess, who suffer with maybe perfectionism or to be patient and to recognize that exactly what you're saying, healing takes time. Mm-hmm. In life, time in life and lived experience and... And experience from another, like in relationship of somebody else has to yeah. love us to remind us again of our belovedness before God. Yeah, absolutely. That's been one, as I've prepared for this over the course of the week with some reflection, I've been really grateful for you and Julie and being being two of the people who are instruments of God's mercy and healing in my own life and showing me this this love that you're talking about. So, yeah, likewise. Yeah, so I think that's a, a beautiful place to wrap up our conversation today um, about wounds. Please do feel free to email with any questions you might have as my PhD topic might indicate I love <laughs> talking about this. So um, yeah, so please do reach out to us. I do want to end with our our media recommendation and our weekly challenge. So either one of those you want to offer our listeners today? Yeah, sure. So for our media recommendation, we've given a lot of them through the podcast, Rublet's Icon, Jesus Divine Mercy, but specifically look at The Incredulity of St. Thomas by Caravaggio. Oh, yeah. And just spend time with Jesus's invitation to Thomas, Mm. inviting his hand into Jesus's wounds. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. And what about you for the weekly challenge, Sophia? I would say take the list that we mentioned before of, of some core wounds, fear, shame, abandonment, powerlessness, rejection, hopelessness, and confusion. Take this list of core wounds to adoration and pray with whichever one jumps out with you. Ask Christ to show you where this wound is coming from, where it's guiding decisions in your life, maybe some of the lies it's generated or habits it's formed, and ask the Holy Spirit to bring healing precisely through awakening you to God's gaze of love on you in that place of woundedness. Um, so that would be my, my challenge for our listeners this week. That's a great challenge. Thank you. And thanks for joining us today, everyone. We've really enjoyed discussing this topic. If you haven't, we would love for you to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It increases our visibility in podcast searches and know of our prayers for you in this week ahead. Yeah, we'll be back next week with another episode of The Pilgrim Soul. Thanks, everyone.